Have your seat, as the case may be, and we'll get started. It's uh, it's good to see everybody. I see a lot of new faces. If you're new with us, again, echo what Rich said. Welcome. Thanks for coming to the firehouse. Uh, been an interesting morning. I just uh, I just came back from across the street. I uh, some of you may notice I use uh, I use the internet here, or I I use my iPad for my notes. And I had a PDF on there that was on my email, and our Wi-Fi was down this morning. I just found out about three minutes ago, so I had to run across the street to use their Wi-Fi. So if it's on the recording, thanks to our friends over there at Jezebel's. It was great. Um, and also, you might notice, like, we like technology, but things get a little challenging. If you notice little wavy lines on the screen, we're working through some electrical issues in this building, sort of troubleshooting. You may have noticed, if you've been here weeks past, the flickering lights. I think we've isolated the flickering lights. They're not flickering today, praise the Lord. But now we have lines on the screen, and I think there's a buzz in the sound system. So you guys could just be praying for me, and I'd be able to help figure this out this week, and uh, we would have somewhat seamless technology here. Um, and on that note too, I know they don't get a lot of thanks or a lot of recognition, but could you guys give a round of applause to uh, Nick and Steph and the other people who are on the sound and the media team? They work really hard with limited resources and just do a really great job of what we got. So I thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in here. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be together today. Um, Lord, I know you're here with us. Um, uh, I even wonder if a, a, a blip on the Wi-Fi is... Uh, just a, a, an indication that you've got great things to say today and maybe someone wants to stand in the way, Lord. So, um, Lord, I pray you would speak this morning, speak into hearts and lives, um, including my own. Lord, bless the time. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's Daylight Savings. Everybody made it. And uh, you get like an hour, you get an extra hour, and so I'm going to take that here with an extra long teaching. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I hope everybody's okay. I found it's a little bit different when you have kids. Like when you don't have kids, you're like, ah, I love it in the fall, I get that extra hour of sleep. But when you have kids, they don't know that, and they wake up an hour earlier. So it, it kind of flips when you have kids. So those of you without kids, that's what you can look forward to if you ever have children. Um, so we're going through this series, What on Earth Am I Here For? See it on the screen there. Um, it's been, it's been like running a long race so far. We've gone through several parts, and we're kind of turning the corner here um, and headed towards not quite to the home stretch, um, but we're sort of uh, getting to that last mile of the 5K or something like that. So, uh, you may remember Rich sort of started us off, and then the last time I was here, we talked about being loved by God. Uh, the next week, Jeff talked about our calling to belong to God's family, to belong to the church. And then last week, Tim Kavanaugh spoke about uh, our purpose of becoming like Christ and how God wants us to grow up to be like Him. I think one thing that really resonated with me last week was the idea that we don't just worship things. We don't just think, hey, things are great. I love that thing. But we become like those things that we worship. 
And it really helped me sort of refocus my attention on, hey, what am I worshiping? I need to be worshiping God because if there's anything in the world, in the universe, that I want to become like, it would be God versus anything else. So uh, we continue on here as we're looking at five callings, five purposes on your life, uh, five assignments that God has for you um, today. We're going to look at the fourth one of these, which is, you are called to bless. And we have handouts somewhere. Did they make it? They're, they were printed. They'll get handed out. Anyway, you can get those handouts. You can fill it out. There should be pins uh, near you. Um, so again, I'm called to bless. And I'm not talking about kashundite when you sneeze. And I'm not talking about, you know, when someone does nice, something nice for you and, you know, go, oh, bless you, thank you. You know, we're not talking about the hokey televangelist who says, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about blessing as a significant, having a significant impact on people around me. So how do we accomplish that? Well, you bless other people simply by serving them. You can serve them in, with physical assistance or financial help or emotional or relational support. You can serve people practically and tangibly or you can be abstract and emotional. Um, there's really thousands, thousands of ways you can serve people around you. And the Bible really makes that really clear that serving others is blessing them. And serving is one of our most important purposes. And so our key verse today is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10. And it explains it this way. You see it on the screen. It says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Workmanship, I think, is a key word here. I love that word. And if you want to define it, we can go look at what the internet says, because that's really the ultimate source of things these days, right? The internet defines workmanship as the degree of skill with which a product is made or a job is done. The degree of skill. So, when you think about God, what level of skill do you suppose God puts into anything He does? Like, could you imagine... God making a half-hearted effort to do anything? I think that's actually impossible, right? Because He's perfect, and He's the creator of the universe. Everything He does is done with perfection. And that includes creating you, and it includes creating me, right? One great synonym for workmanship that really resonates with me and sort of my training and my background is the term craftsmanship. You've probably heard that before. Now, when I was a graduate student, I had this really incredible experience where I took a 10-week intensive studio course and we designed and built a professional grade of heirloom furniture. You're probably like, what is heirloom furniture? Well, I'm about to show you what a piece of heirloom furniture looks like. So in 10 weeks, we went from having no idea to this great piece of furniture. And I'm really not sure how I did that in 10 weeks because I feel like it takes me 10 weeks to send an email these days. I don't know how I did this big project in 10 weeks. But anyway, I walked into the class and I kind of had a rough idea. And so I started to flesh that idea out as we began to start this class. And I began to draw sketches. It's one of those things you do as an architecture student. You do a lot of drawing. And then I built a little small-scale model of what this piece of furniture was going to be. And then we started thinking about it and talking about it as a class. We refined the idea. And then I built a full-scale model out of cheap wood. And here's a picture. This is a picture of this model. And you're like, what is that? I'll tell you in a minute if you don't know what that is. 
And so then we refined it more and we were able to take pieces and, and move them around and make changes and put different ones in because we were working with cheap wood. Um, and once we kind of got our idea really nailed down, we went out to buy the materials, right? And when you're going to buy materials for an heirloom piece of furniture, you're not going to Home Depot. You've got to go to the hardwood store, right? And hardwood is not cheap. Hardwood is expensive. So one of the things we had to do was figure out, I'm going to buy a big board, and how am I going to cut all of the pieces that are going to go into this piece of furniture out of one board? Because you don't want to have waste, right? Especially on a grad student budget, there's no way you're just going to throw wood away, right? You've got to use every last little bit, right? And so then each piece, we had to bring those boards back to the shop, and we had to cut them down to be about the same, the right size. They're going to be one thing I had to do. You see, go to the next slide, you'll see this leg. Oh, wait, did we skip it? There it is. The leg uh, had this sort of unique double taper kind of idea that I came up with. But I had to recreate that four times. So I had to create this jig so you could run these four boards through the table saw in exactly the same way, and it would cut, cut it just perfectly, right? All this sort of love and care that went into that. Um, and then the end panels, i go to the next slide. Uh, we had to make it, you couldn't just make those out of hardwood, you had to make them out of plywood and then put veneers of hardwood over the face of it because otherwise it would warp and bend and sort of break your piece of furniture. So I had to cut very thin pieces of wood. Yes, I cut those pieces myself on a, on a bandsaw. And then you edge band around it and you get it all glued together and you vacuum compress it and then you have to run it through the planer and, um, to get it to something that's close to the finished product. Um, and then once you get all those pieces and they're all uh, you know, almost what you need, then you've got to start scraping them down and sanding them down and getting them smooth um, like glass. That was really the goal of trying to get wood. And you'd say, can wood really be like glass? It can. I learned that in this class that you could do that. Um, and then you put a coating on it. I put beeswax on mine. It's kind of an interesting coating, but it's non-toxic. Um, it's held up pretty well over time. And then we put it all together. And then we had to present it. So the next slide here is a picture of me um, presenting this piece of furniture to a panel of uh, furniture makers and my peers. And I don't know if it's clear, but my eyes are closed. I'm probably taking a nap while I'm standing there because in 10 weeks it was a lot of work. I put in a ton of effort. I put in a lot of hours, a lot of long days and nights because I didn't have a year to do it. I had just 10 weeks to do it. And I just put in all this thought and all this energy and all this love and I just lavished my energy onto this piece of furniture. And I don't want to be prideful, but I think it turned out pretty good. And that's not really because I'm special, but I did have a lot of coaching and I was a student and I got learning and I got some help. And so here's some more pictures. This is the finished product of it. And then you go to the next one, you can see that leg how that appears, and then the next one, you kind of see the panels. And so maybe you've figured out by now, this is a crib for babies. Right? And so you go, okay, that's nice, Greg. You built this crib, and you're, you were a craftsman for 10 weeks. What's the correlation? Well, I think that on a scale that we can't even comprehend, we are like this piece of furniture, and God is the craftsman. But see, God's not a grad student. He's perfect. But He is the greatest master craftsman ever. And each one of you is God's masterpiece. You are God's triumph of craftsmanship. And you're unique, and there's nobody like you in the world. 
See, I think it gets better, and I think the analogy goes a little deeper. See, a lot of my classmates, they took their furniture home as showpieces. They did this really good job. We go to the next slide here. There's uh, four pictures. These are some of my classmates. You see a wine cabinet, a bench, and a coffee table, and a chair. These guys did great work. Um, some of them, in particularly that bench, uh, won national awards. They went up against professional furniture makers and beat them in national furniture contests. Um, and uh, I have a book. I didn't bring it up here today. I've got a book, and all this work is published because this is a course that kind of went on for years and years, and it was published. And, and I actually got quoted in the book, which was kind of cool. But then, like, the guy who made the bench, is a friend of mine, he got a whole chapter <laughs> written about him, right? Which is amazing. Um, and so a lot of these people, some of these guys and other people, they really took their furniture and they're like, oh, this is amazing. And they went home and they kind of set it up on the pedestal or they locked it in an office and they didn't really want anyone to touch it. It would be the like, oh, you came over to visit? Let's go look at my piece of furniture. Right? The last thing you would want to do is, you know, write while you're on that because you might like press into the wood or something, right? And so they were sort of putting these things up on their pedestal and that's fine. I can't really criticize them. That's really their choice. But what do you think I did with my piece of furniture? I went the other way, right? I took it home and I put it to immediate use. See, the reason I even elected to do a crib was because we found out just before, um, I guess a few months before this quarter started, we found out that our first baby was on the way. Um, and if I was going to spend all this money, I might as well spend it on something that was useful, right? So we got done. We took these pictures. Um, I took the thing apart and wrapped it up and put it in my car, drove out here to Colorado and set it up in the baby's room. And a month later or so, Reeve was born. Here's a picture. There he is. You'll see him running around. He's about this tall now. <laughs> that was nine and a half years ago. So he came home and he occupied this crib. And then two years later, he grew up and got out of it. And Josiah, our second son, moved into it. And then a couple years later, we had Scarlett. And she moved in. Now, she had a little bit more girly bedding than the boys did. But she also got to live in this crib. And then two years later, Max got to move into it. And now, for the last 16 months, Kellen has been in this crib. And he's called it home. And in my opinion, and it's probably biased, but my opinion is that a baby crib is one of the most important, one of the most noble pieces of furniture that you could make. So I'm biased because I made a crib, right? But the point <laughs> is that this piece of furniture has an ennoble, a noble and essential purpose. It holds my kids at night. It keeps them safe while they're sleeping and it gives them boundaries. I would say the crib does good work. And so just like the way I poured myself into this crib, the purpose was so that it would do good work. And in the same way God has poured himself into you, you're the pinnacle of his workmanship so that you can do good work. God didn't make you so you could take up space. He didn't make you so you could spend time chasing things that you think will make you happy. Instead, He made you so you could contribute to the world with your life. Again, this verse in Ephesians we were talking about says it all. It says you were created to do good works. Although you're a showcase of God's master craftsmanship, you weren't made to be in a museum. It doesn't say you were created to be in a museum. It says you were created to do good works. And so what are these works? Well, I think a good synonym for good works is ministry. And so if you're made for good works, like the verse in Ephesians says, then you were made to be a minister. So you can write this down on your handout. My life calling is to be a bivocational minister of Jesus. 
So according to the verse, every single one of us is a minister, so we're all bivocational. And what do I mean by bivocational? See, sometimes we refer to our pastors, Brad, Jeff, and Tim, as bivocational. And the reason we do that is because each one is employed professionally outside of the church full-time. And then they're also fully dedicated to leading our church and shepherding it along. And um, I think as you get to know those guys, you're going to say, Wow, I have tremendous respect for the burdens they carry doing those things all at once. But that's when I talk about bivocational here, I'm not talking about it in that sense. Um, when I say we're bivocational ministers, I don't mean that we have two jobs, a secular job and a non-secular job. Instead, what I mean is that we have two reasons for everything we do, and we talked about these two reasons earlier in this, in this series. The first one is to honor God, and the second one is to help others. And so we all have those two vocations in everything we do. It doesn't have anything to do with your employment. See, we don't use the term minister, minister, here at the firehouse to describe our pastors. I think if you went up to Rich or Brad or Jeff or Tim and you said, Hey, minister! <laughs> Their face would probably turn red and they would kind of stifle a chuckle. <laughs> Sometimes you call them reverends too, just as a joke, right? But see, we don't do that and there's a good reason we don't do that here at the firehouse. Our pastor's job is to pastor. Duh, right? It's in the title, right? And as some of you guys know who are in the Aspire class, pastoring is synonymous, according to the scripture, it's synonymous with shepherding, overseeing, leading, managing. Can I get an amen from someone in the class? Amen. Yeah, that's good. And this differs from being a minister because we're all called to be ministers. We're not all called to be pastors. We're all called to be ministers. So whether you're like me and you're an architect by profession, or you're an administrative assistant, or a programmer, or you're in construction, or a teacher, an accountant, or a doctor, or a household engineer. That's what I call moms who stay at home with their kids. If you're a Christian, whatever you do, you do for two reasons. To help others, and to honor God. And see, I see a lot of Christians get untracked when it comes to this concept. See, I see a lot of you, a lot of folks... Um, searching for meaning in the work that you do. And what that leads to is a lot of job changing. Or for some people, it's like perpetual schooling. Like you just kind of stay in school forever. And it never really seems to work, right? This constant motion, this constant change, this constant dissatisfaction doesn't really bring you any meaning. And that's because I think we, we're ignoring, when we do this, we ignore what the Bible tells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says this. It says, So whether you eat, or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I have this little rock, and I didn't bring it up here. I must have forgot my props today. I have this little rock. It's like a little paperweight. And about 30 years ago, I was at summer camp in the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. I pulled it out of a stream, and the camp counselor wrote this very verse on it. It's in a slightly older uh, translation. Um, but it is this verse. Um, and there was not really a correlation between the verse and the rock, right? And I think even some of the other campers probably had different verses. But I think God meant for that verse to be on my rock. And so I've carried that rock around, right? And so uh, everywhere I went, we, lived, we moved to Virginia and then to Colorado, and then I went to school in Atlanta, and I came back to Colorado. I went to school in Washington, came back to Colorado. This rock has sat on my desk and my dresser everywhere I've gone. 
and you think, oh, well, then it's really been meaningful. Well, I think I didn't really catch the meaning for a long time. It really took me a long time to really figure out what this verse really means. And this is what it means. Meaning comes from serving God in my work. It does not come from working to serve God. So you might want to write that down in the white space. I know there's not a blank for it, but you could say it this way. Meaning does not come from working to serve God. Meaning comes from serving God in my work. I'll say it one more time if you're writing it down. Meaning does not come from working to serve God. Meaning comes from serving God in my work. So if you can grasp this concept, you're going to stop searching around and running after purpose where you won't find purpose. I think you'll be able to kind of buckle down and focus on serving God and blessing others right where you are. Um, and I think if you're candid with yourself, maybe say, you know, if I kind of live with perpetual short-timer syndrome, does anybody know what short-timer syndrome is in the workplace? It's like where you know you're headed to a new job and your quality goes down. David Coleman, you've never done that. I know you've changed jobs. you kept that quality high. But if you're kind of always living with that, or you're kind of always looking at, oh, what's, so dis- what's dissatisfying about this job or this place or this kind of thing, um, what are you not focusing on? You're not focusing on serving other people because you're thinking about the next thing and where am I going to find my meaning in the next place and the next place. And is that honoring God to live in a state of dissatisfaction? The answer, of course, is no. So... Another hard question you can even ask if you're like, well, I don't really have short-timer syndrome. I, ask yourself this. I think we all have to do menial tasks. Right? I don't need to define what menial tasks are. I think each of us, wherever we're at, know what a menial task is. Do you find meaning in doing menial tasks? Look at the verse again. Does it say, so when you do momentous tasks, do it all for the glory of God. No. It says, whatever you do. So what's excluded from the term whatever? Does that exclude anything? No, of course not. So I can take out the garbage as a ministry. I can change one of my kids' dirty diapers as a ministry. I can clean the living room, or I can organize and straighten the garage, or I can mow the lawn, or you can tell my examples have to do with things at home. We just moved. There's a lot of work at home for me right now. But everything in your life, at your office, at home, everything can become a ministry if you do it to help others and you do it to honor God. An example of this, let's say you're in a meeting at the office where you work. Right? Say you work in an office or a workplace. And Does anybody else here have lunch and learns? Does anybody... You get those. If you don't know what those are, it's where the vendor comes in and they try to sell you a product and they buy you lunch to kind of sweeten the deal, right? We used to have those at the office I used to work at. Um, and it like, always happened when the meeting was over, everyone would just bolt, right? Because they're like, oh, I don't want to get in the conversation with the vendor, right? But they would always leave their trash on the table and then either the vendor's like, i got to clean this up or some admin person would have to come in and have to clean it up. Now, if you're going to be like everybody else, what are you going to do? You're going to bolt too, right? So you don't have to deal with it. Um, But if you're looking to honor God and you're looking to serve others, you're just going to pick up the trash and throw it away. It's not your responsibility, but you do it anyway because you want to honor God and you want to serve others, right? So you clean off the tables, you put the trash in, and guess what? You just did ministry. 
You just served other people. It didn't have to be some grand, momentous thing. It was this very simple thing. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this fourth purpose of life. You're called to serve. God made you for ministry. He made you to bless other people. And so what happens? Say, what happens if I use my life to bless other people? What happens when I stop thinking about me and start thinking about other people? Well, there's four, four benefits I'm going to talk about today. I think there's probably a lot more, but here's four that we'll go over today. The first one, and you write this down, serving others unselfishly will create joy in my life. And not just like, yay, joy! That's not what I'm talking about, right? We're not talking about like, ooh, you know, euphoric happiness or something. We're talking about true joy. Um, is anybody, maybe you're from that generation, remember there was an old song that said, it sort of went looking for love in all the wrong places. Everybody remembers, I see Ruth's nodding, that's good. Somebody caught that. And that's kind of how we can think about not love, but just happiness, right? We're looking for happiness by going after all the wrong things. Going after prestige, or power, or money, or relationships, or adventure, or, I don't know, fill in your own blank there. <clears throat> and then we might find some relief, or we might find some enjoyment in doing those things. It's all temporary. See, for me, I love to travel. And my most favorite place to travel to on Earth is Hawaii. And so a couple years back, we had this great opportunity, and my wife and I, we saved up some points, and we saved up some dollars, and we took a week's trip to Hawaii. And it was amazing. We got to swim in the water, and we spent time on the beach. I got to play golf and eat fun food, and the Albers were there. Brad and I had one of the best hamburgers I've ever eaten. It's like fresh pineapple and bacon. Oh, it was the best. But then what happened? I got on the airplane, and I came back, and it was snowing in Colorado. <laughs> and we had memories. I had some great, I got great memories and great photographs, and it was fun. But it, truthfully, it left this sort of hole in me, because I'd been sort of counting on this trip to bring me true joy. And the reality is things, even great things like that, don't bring us joy. Instead, what the Bible tells us is that true joy, true joy, comes through serving, through giving our lives away. And that's how God designed you. He designed you so when you give your life away, joy flows into your heart. And why is that? It's because we're made to be like Him, and that's the way He is. See, serving gets the focus off of myself. The more I focus on me the more miserable I become. So think about that word, miserable. Miserable. What's the first part of that word? Miser. Anybody ready for Christmas? We can start talking about Scrooge. That's what I always think of when I think of the word miser. Um, But think about that. Miserable and miser. They come from the same root word, and there's a connection in practice as well. The more you focus on yourself, the more of a miser you are, the more miserly miserable you become. And so to combat this, you've got to shift your focus from looking at myself to looking at others. And I know that seems kind of counterintuitive, I think because it's really against the cultural grain we have in this society. You know, every advertisement is about you, right? Have it your way. Have you had your break today? You, 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 you. I hate watching commercials because it's all about me. Maybe I like watching commercials because it's all about me. 
No, I don't like watching commercials. But let's, let's uh, look back to the Bible and let's look at Apostle, what the Apostle Paul says. And he gives us a real clear statement in Philippians 2.17 about how to be countercultural. He says, My life is being poured out as part of the sacrifice and service I offer to God for your faith. His life is being poured out. Yet, I'm filled with joy and I share that joy with all of you. And this is a fact of life. The more helpful you are, the more happy you are. The more self-centered you are, the more miserable you are. That's a fact. Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all that you do. See, again, he ties joy and unselfishness together. So look, if you're lacking joy in your life right now, I challenge you, start serving. Find a place where you can volunteer and give part of your time away and get nothing in return. If there's nothing in your life that you're regularly doing just to benefit others, then you're kind of living a selfish life and you're defying God's plan for you. You've got to give back. You've got to make a contribution. You've got to be unselfish. That's where you're going to find true joy. And... Um, most of you know, I'm not a pastor here, but I, I do work here full-time. And part of my job is just operations of this church. And so, if anybody says, any of you today, this kind of resonates with you, and say, yeah, I'd like to serve. Well, you can come talk to me. And I'll have something that you can do. And um, I'll recognize you for it by saying thank you. You may not get recognition, but uh, at least you'll hear from me, right? Uh, so if you want to do that, you can talk to me later or send me an email. That would be fine. Um, so, there's really four things here. Uh, four, we're talking about these four ways um, that you could serve, right? First is going to create joy in my life. The second thing that we do that happens to us is that it improves my relationships. Um, the verse here says, Your attitude must be like my own. For I did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve. Did you like that? I flipped those there. <laughs> I did not come to serve, but to be served. <laughs> See, that's what God would want to do, right? Um, that's what you think God would want to do, but that's not what He did, right? He showed up and He said, I came to serve. I'm the God of the universe, but I came to serve you. Because that's what I was made to do. And that's what He wants us to do. And see, I think if you're married... This is probably a no-brainer for you. Does your marriage get better or worse when you serve? It gets better. And so if you're married and you're like, I didn't know that, well then this is a little tip for you. Start serving your spouse. And that's really going to help you. Um, our lifelong goal is to be unselfish. Because that's going to improve our relationships with other people. Because we're going to take on the attitude of Christ. The third thing that we have here is that serving makes our life more meaningful. If you try to keep your life for yourself, it says in Mark chapter 8, you will lose it. And this is Jesus speaking. It says, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. Now what is he talking about when he says true life? He's like, well, I'm alive. I've got life. True life is joy. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about meaning. 
And that's what we're aiming for here. That's the whole point of this series. What on earth am I here for? It's a question of meaning. What is the meaning of life? It makes your life more meaningful when you serve others. And so the fourth and the last thing we have here is that when you serve other people, it'll leave a legacy. It says, this verse in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, says, Good people will be remembered as a blessing. Um, do you want to be remembered as a blessing? Do you want to be remembered as somebody who gave their life away? Or do you want to be selfish? Do you want to be known as someone who... And that person was always looking out for number one. Um, again, if we talk about this building relationships and giving meaning to your life, um, if you're focused on yourself, then you're not going to be remembered as a blessing. And I think that should be our goal. I mean, I think everybody wants to leave a legacy. Everybody wants to be remembered. Again, that's how God designed us. Um, so that's sort of my challenge to you today, is uh, to serve, to think about giving your life away, because that's what God made you to do. And that's going to give your life meaning. And that's where you're going to have a legacy left. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for making us in such a way that we can serve. That we can imitate you by serving others, by giving our life away. And God, so I pray you would move on our hearts, Lord, that, that we would look at ourselves and say, you know, I, I am selfish. I do look out for number one. I'm not looking for ways I can serve simply, ways I can serve in menial tasks. Um, I'm always looking for credit when I serve. I always want to be in front of other people so that I get praise from other people. God, God just impress on our hearts the need to serve, to work hard in a way that others will not see um, so that we can give you the glory, God. Because we trust that you're going to see, uh, Lord, you see and you know, and uh, you will look after us, God. Um, God, and maybe there's some people here even today, God, who um, haven't even jumped into having a right relationship with you. And you've been sort of um, poking at their hearts. Uh, and God, maybe th this morning, this morning might be that time to say, hey, God, I, I surrender my life to you and I invite Jesus Christ into my life. Uh, I want to have a right relationship with you for eternity. Um, so God, just bless us, Lord. Bless us as we serve. Lord, I pray you would bless everybody who's here uh, as they seek to serve um, and to work hard on your behalf in the way that you design them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. I uh, appreciate every single one of you being here. Uh, have a great week, and we will look forward to seeing you back next week.